Welcome to TLC. It is the fourth week in our Rookies, Vets, and Free Agents series on relationships and all that goes along with that. And today we're talking about the B word, budgets. How you can fall in love with budgets when you hate them. Because friends, uh, I hate budgets. Which either makes me the best person to teach this message or the absolute worst person to teach this message. You guys will have to decide that in a little bit. Now, when Brenda and I first got married, uh, we both brought in uh, to the relationship a fairly significant debt. Uh, it was pretty much all from college loans, but uh, we both had about $20,000. We had somewhere between thirty and $40,000 uh, total that, that we brought in. And, and uh, Brenda is a saver. And I am a spender, all right? I love to spend. Uh, she loves to save. But uh, thankfully, both of us uh, had a, a natural disdain for debt. And so we wanted to try to get out of debt as quickly as we possibly could. So we had kind of created some uh, rules for ourselves. And, and, and the biggest one with regards to finances is we had a, a $20 rule. That if you were going to spend more than $20... You had to get permission from the other person first. So uh, if there was a, a, a shirt at the store that was 18 bucks, I could buy it. Didn't have to ask her. But if that shirt was $21, I had to call and get permission, okay? Now, here's the thing. Brenda being a saver, she never called, okay? Like it was not a thing for her. She never was like, yo, I think we should have this. I'm always calling. All right, babe, what about, like, don't you think we should have this? She's like... We already have a table at, at, at the apartment. We don't need another table. Like, stop it, all right? So uh, we would have these conversations, and, and uh, invariably, I was the one doing the asking. Now, we, uh, we had saved up a little bit of money, and we were going on our first vacation as a couple. Uh, we had gotten this great deal. Uh, it was like an airfare, because we lived in Chicago at the time, airfare from Chicago to the Bahamas, uh, a, a resort, or, well, it was just like a hotel room, and uh, it was during the rainy season, so it was really cheap. We're like, yo, we can totally afford this. Certainly God won't let it rain while we're there, right, babe? Like, that's kind of what we thought. So we, we got there, and uh, uh, at the time, um, I really enjoyed uh, cigars, okay? Now, if you're here with your parents, and you're in, like, middle school, high school, you should not smoke cigars. Their parents, I said it, okay? Now, uh, no angry emails. Now continue with me. We're there. Gray Cliff is this place in the Bahamas. It actually uh, was a mansion built by a pirate in the 1740s, no joke. And it eventually uh, was sold at one point to English royalty. Um, King Henry VIII, is that right? Is it King Henry VIII? Yeah, oh, sorry, King Edward VIII had actually vacationed there. Uh, it it is now had been turned into a super high-end hotel and high-end restaurant. They have one of the largest and most expensive wine cellars in the world. I wanted to go and visit this place because they also had a really small cigar factory that was on site. And so uh, Brenda, she was like, fine, we can go there. I thought, oh, maybe I'll buy one cigar. Now, we couldn't afford to stay there. Uh, we couldn't even afford to have a meal there, but we had decided we were going to splurge and we were going to have dessert there, okay? So we showed up, and I walked in, and there was a guy who was actually rolling cigars in the hotel lobby, 
Uh, it turns out he's a really famous torcedor. That's the guy that rolls cigars. His name was Avelino Lara. He was in his 80s at this point. He had been Fidel Castro's personal roller for over three decades. He actually established some of the Cohiba cigars. Um, this dude is like a living legend, okay? So he's in there rolling these cigars, and I'm just like, whoa, it's so cool. Well, he doesn't speak a lick of English, and I don't speak a lick of Spanish, and so I'm just like, He basically ignored me. Well, this other guy comes in, and we start talking. He speaks English, and turns out he's the manager of the cigar factory. And he, uh, we start talking. He asked where I'm from. I said, Chicago. He's like, oh, we were just in Chicago. Turns out the cigar shop that I would go to frequent when I was living in Chicago, uh, they're friends. And the guy's like, oh, so he thinks we're, we have mutual friends. He doesn't know that we're not staying there. I think he assumed we were staying there, or at least we're having dinner there, both of which were not true. We couldn't afford it. And uh, he says, can I give you a private tour of the cigar factory? I was like, heck yeah, this is amazing. So Brenda's like, fine. So uh, he starts to walk us through this storage facility. Now this is, mind you, 1999, uh, before all the Y2K parties that were happening, okay? So he shows me this storage room where they literally have uh, a humidor that belonged to King Edward VIII that was valued at over a million dollars. Uh, he's showing us this, and then there's all these different bundles of cigars that they're aging for famous people for their parties. So I literally saw one stack of cigars that had Steven Seagal's name on it. He's like this famous actor from back in the day. And uh, one was for some prince, something or something from Saudi Arabia, and uh, all the stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Well, then the guy, he... He assumes, at least I think he's assuming, that we must be fairly well-to-do, okay? Because the guy that we know uh, owns the place in Chicago, and so he looks at me, and he's like, I really want to, because of our mutual friend, I really want to hook you up and give you, like, a great selection. Uh, you just tell me how much you want to spend, and, and I will hook you up. <laughs> now, I've got Brenda with me, okay? Remember, uh, I'm like, <laughs> spender, saver. Now, I don't want to make him mad. And I don't want to make her mad. And I'm like, I feel like I'm between a rock and a heart. Like, what do I say? So he's expecting that I'm going to probably say a few hundred dollars. Brenda's expecting I'm going to say a few dollars. And so I looked at him and I said, um, how about uh, like 50 bucks? And he was visibly uh, disappointed, uh, but gracious. And my wife was visibly disappointed, but gracious, all at the same time. Uh, he, he actually wasn't too bad. He, he, he was fine. He was definitely surprised. Like, oh, certainly. And, <laughs> and, and Brenda was also surprised, uh, and, and, but, but, but kind, until the manager left. And then she erupted into a volcano of vitriol and rage, my friends. I'm not even kidding you. She didn't want to see me. She didn't want to look at me. She literally turned around and walked away. And now, in her defense, I had broken the $20 rule right in front of her, okay? And she didn't, like, go off and, like, yell at me or anything like that. But uh, needless to say, we weren't making any marriage memories that night in the Bahamas. <laughs> Why are we talking about budgets in a series on relationships? The reason we're talking about finances in a series on relationships is because money shows up as one of the main reasons for conflict in marriage relationships, in any relationship often, and is often one of the top reasons for divorce. Uh, it's a driving factor in anxiety and fear for both married couples, for people who are dating, and for singles. Uh, 
if you are here in this room, money has universal implications for all of us. Now, it's uh, usually near the top of the list of reasons that folks uh, will get divorces, uh, along with lack of commitment, which is actually why understanding what covenant means in a Christian marriage is so important. We talked about that week one. Um, Also, conflict due to lack of communication or poor communication skills is also uh, near the top of that list, which is why we're actually going to talk next week on the art of war, how to fight fairly without murdering your friend. That's next week's topic. And uh, infidelity uh, or getting married too early are also high on the list. And so the very last week, uh, we're actually going to talk about sex. Um, I've got a friend of mine. uh, Her name is Sarah Young. Uh, Sarah is actually a a certified... uh, licensed sex therapist, and uh, she loves Jesus, and she uh, is going to speak truth about things that you probably never expected you would hear in a church, but you're gonna in a couple of weeks, and parents, I'm telling you, it's PG. It's not R, but it's definitely PG. Now, here's the truth. If your son or daughter is in sixth, seventh, or eighth grade, I promise you they've already heard anything she's going to say, whether they've heard it from you or not. And if they haven't heard it from you or from the church, this is the perfect opportunity for us to start having this conversation. But I at least want you to be aware, if you have really young ears, in a couple of weeks, uh, you can think about whether you want them to engage in this. But I would recommend uh, that everybody, especially if your kid is in sixth grade or or above, uh, would be a part of this conversation. It matters and it's important. Now, back to money. Why is it such a point of conflict for most marriages? Uh, Dr. Lauren Papp is a researcher from the University of Wisconsin. She says this, Research shows these kinds of conflicts about finances are emotionally loaded ones that last longer and are resolved less frequently. For men especially, money is tied to power, which can make conflicts about it especially heated. But it's not technically the topic couples argue about most. It's more of a key supporting actor in so many other marital conflicts, like work and leisure and friends. Differences about money are universal. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'm actually going to give you four mini-sermons, okay? And I'm going to pop through them fast, all right? There's going to be a ton of stuff that you're going to want to take notes about, okay? Things that you're going to want to reference later in conversations that you're going to have with friends or significant others or your spouse. Uh, you can grab your pen and get ready to write, but you're probably not even going to be able to write all of it down fast enough. So do what you can, but what I would recommend is grab your phone and have it handy. Pull out your camera. You can take pictures because a lot of the stuff's going to be up on the screen. What I'd like to do is I'd like to start off by Uh, setting the stage on what the Bible has taught for the last 2,000 years on the role of finances and money. What does God think about it? What does God want us? What are the principles he wants us to understand when it comes to how we deal with it? Then the second thing we're going to do is uh, Rachel Cruz. Uh, She works for um, Dave Ramsey. She's got her own podcast and uh, writes some phenomenal stuff. She actually uh, has four conversations that every couple ought to have. And if you're single, you need to have these conversations as well, but probably with your community. So it could be uh, parents, it could be uh, a mentor, uh, maybe your small group. Um, These are great conversations to have about money. And then I want to talk about uh, five things that Ron Blue gives us as financial habits, okay? And then I'm going to finish just with a little bit on budgets, really, really briefly. 
Here we go. You ready? We about to move. I'm just telling you, today we're moving. Number one, principle one, God owns everything. I own nothing. We manage his stuff, okay? Principle one, open up the Psalm chapter 24, verses one and two. We read this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Everything. Oh, yeah, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. We've got some folks that will um, walk around and make sure to get one to you. Psalm 24, 1 and 2 gives us our first principle. God owns everything. All right? A lot of times we get into this idea that, like, this is my stuff, and I got it, and I worked hard for it, and I earned it. Uh, but the Bible is very clear. God is the one who actually created everything. You've heard the old adage, you can't take it with you, Right? Pharaohs tried to do that. That's why when we open up King Tut's tomb, it's all gold and he's got all kinds of stuff in there and right, stuff they're going to take into the next life. And we do the same thing. Like you'll, you'll hear about people that like took a certain valuable possession that they kind of wanted in their casket with them. Or like we, we live though in such a way that we often show that we don't believe the adage that you can't take it with you. We think, well, no, we can, or at least we got to get all that we can out of it in this life. But God wants us to know he owns everything. We manage what he's given us. Number two, principle number two, God entrusts me with everything that I have. God entrusts me with everything that I have, okay? So anything that you have, God has given it to you. Your talents, your job, finances, relationships, passions, all of that, your time, God's given it to you. Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Starting in verse 17, and I know I'm going through these quickly, so you might want to write it down. You can come back to it if you can't get there in time. He says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Instead, put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Whatever God has given to you, he has given it to you for two reasons, okay? Do you see the first reason in verse 17? So that you can enjoy it. Look, whatever God's given you, you should enjoy. Enjoy the heck out of it, all right? I've said this before, right? You, you, you got a, a, a motorcycle? Enjoy the heck out of your motorcycle, all right? You got a bike that you like, you got some sweet rollerblades, whatever, whatever you got, enjoy it, okay? Because God has given it to you so that you can enjoy it. However, it's not only so that you can enjoy it. If we keep reading in verse 18, we also see that God has given us everything for our enjoyment, but also so that we can be, what does it say? Rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. We are stewarding what God has given us, and he gives it to us so that we can enjoy it, but also so that we can be rich in good deeds, generous, and willing to share. Principle number three, I can increase or decrease what God has given me. He wants me to increase it. I can increase or decrease what God has given me. He wants me to increase it. Matthew chapter 25, flip over there. Matthew chapter 25, this is a parable 
It's called the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold. Jesus shares this story about a master who comes and he gives uh, money to three of his servants. To the first servant, he gives him five bags of gold. To the second servant, he gives him two bags of gold. And to the last servant, he gives him one bag of gold. We pick up the story. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. So he took the five bags. He went and invested it working, and he's grown that five to five more. Dude's got ten bags of gold. That's a lot of money. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the same thing happens with the guy who had two bags of gold. He comes and he says, hey, you gave me two. I worked hard. I've invested it. I got two more. The master says, great job. Because you are faithful in little things, I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered. So I was afraid and went and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. In other words, God had given him this bag of gold and he took it and he just dug a hole and then when he came back, he's like, here, here's your bag of gold back. I didn't lose anything. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I haven't sown, gather where I haven't scattered. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. The least you could have done is at least put it with the bankers, then I could have at least got some interest. Look what, there's all kinds of different things that I would love to share with you about what Jesus is saying in this parable, okay? But one of the main points is principle three. Any gift or ability or passion, your money your time, everything that you have, God has given to you, and you either have the ability to increase it or decrease it. God wants you to increase it. That is his desire for you, that you would work hard and honorably, that you would take what he's given you and you would develop it, invest it into things that matter and are important. Principle number four, God can call me to account at any time. Flip over to Luke chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. This is another parable that Jesus is telling, another story. He says, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Dude's like, yo, I worked hard for this. I have developed the ground well, so well that it's producing so much crops that my barns are already full. He's already got storage barns, and they're already full. He's like, I'm going to tear them down and build even bigger ones. And if you look at the text, you'll keep seeing the words I and I'll, okay? He's very much focused on himself. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Uh, I'll admit this is probably the most convicting principle for me personally. Um, I like things. I've told you this before. Uh, I can way too easily get caught up 
in what I think I own or that is mine and what I get to do with it. Uh, I'm really good at treating myself. Treat yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, treat yourself. Like, amen. I can do that. Like, I'm good. Like, I like doing that. And that's how this guy was. He's like, yo, I'm, I'm all in it for me. And I think way too many of us kind of live like he does. Like, yo, it's going to be good when I finally get there. Then maybe I'll start being generous towards God. Right? Like, well, when I finally get this debt paid off, then I'll start being generous towards God. Uh, when I finally get that job, then I'll be able to be generous towards God. When I finally start making this much money, then I'll be able to start being generous towards God. And Jesus makes a really clear point. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Look, we don't know how many days we have on this earth. Nobody does. And way too often, uh, we live as though we have a lot left. And that's not a bad thing, like I'm not saying you should, but look, when it comes to how we're engaging with God and how we're using the resources that he's given us, don't wait. Don't wait to be generous with your money, with your time, with your resources, your talents. God's like, you don't know how much time you have, so be generous now because God pays attention to that. God notices that. God blesses and rewards that. Now, with these principles in mind, I want to talk about some really, really practical aspects about finances. Um, let's start by talking about some financial fears. Rachel Cruz talks about these a little bit. They also come from uh, Symbus. And I think you're going to find um, a few things as we talk about them. Okay? All of us have one of these three, I think. All right? Uh, lack of influence or respect is one particular fear. Lack of influence or respect. People will respect me. Uh, will people respect me if I don't make X amount of money? Okay? What will happen if I don't make enough? Will people, will I lose, like, the influence that I'm hoping to gain in this world? Um, if I'm honest, uh, it's either this one or the last one that I'm going to tell you that is, tends to be my driver. Uh, the second one is lack of security. What if something bad were to happen? What if something bad were to happen? So uh, financial fears are kind of lack of, uh, lack of influence or respect or lack of security. And the last one is not realizing your dreams. What if I can't take that trip or start that business or have that experience? Like that's where I'll feel this fear about my finances, my resources. There's a lot of ways that these fears can affect us, Right? We might choose a career based upon what we think will earn us the most amount of money rather than what God created us for, right? Like, well, people respect me if I have that job, if I'm in that field. I might be miserable doing it, but people are going to respect me. I'm going to have influence. Or maybe uh, you buy certain things because of how you think others will perceive you. Like, I can't afford that Escalade, but everybody else at the office has got the Escalade, so I'm going to have one too. Like, I'm just going to go for it, right? Because we're afraid that somehow our value is maybe dependent upon the things we have, or we want other people to view us in a certain way. We may even become stingy with God or with our family or those around us uh, simply because of the fact that we're afraid that if we don't have enough, we're not going to be, be able to control our future. Like, what if something bad happens? What I want you to do right now is I want you to take 20 seconds and just talk to God about which one of these fears tends to drive you, okay? So just take a second and just sit in silence and say, all right, God, I'm here. 
Which one of these is the one that might tend to drive me Rachel Cruz uh, shares these four stories or these four conversations that you need to have. Married, dating, single, doesn't matter. These are going to be great conversations for you to have. So the first one is the story talk. In my house growing up, money was blank. What this is going to do is help you understand the things that you bring with you into a relationship. It's going to help you understand what your spouse learned or maybe hopes to unlearn about money while growing up. And it kind of gives you a glimpse into why they view money the way that they do, why you view money the way that you do. So in my house, growing up, money was blank. For some of you, money was never talked about. For some of you, money was scarce. We were always worried if we had enough. For some of you, money was never an issue. I never thought twice about it. Maybe it's money was talked about a lot. My dad made me have a budget when I was six. I don't know. But knowing that is going to help understand some of the things that you carry with you in. The second conversation you need to have is the fear talk. This is what we just talked about a second ago, those three fears. So my biggest financial fear is which one of those three? Fear makes us do crazy things like hide purchases or get a secret credit card or lie to yourself so that uh, you believe that something has now risen to the level of need rather than simply want, right? Some of you, that can even be because of trauma and you're just like, I'm triggered in this way and so I just need, I need to go spend something or buy something so I feel better about myself. Like understanding what are the fears that we bring with us in that tend to sometimes drive us. Um, when... When my wife's mom passed away, very unexpectedly, uh, we found that she had a number of credit cards that her husband didn't know about and and none of us did either Uh, because she and her husband didn't talk a whole lot about finances. In fact, it was a point of contention uh, for them, and uh, so she just kind of did things on the side. That was a painful thing for him to realize. Now, a lot of it actually comes down to uh, number four, and I'll mention that in a minute. Number three is the giving talk, the giving talk, all right? So this is the third conversation you need to have. Are you more of a calculated giver or an emotionally led giver? The giving talk. Learning how to become both is often crucial to the generosity that God desires of us. And some of you are like, no, 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 like it's not emotional at all. Like I, it's in the budget, it's what, I, what we do. Some of you are like, I only give when I feel like an overwhelming need for it. And that could actually raise some real struggles. I actually think God wants both of those things to be a part of your giving life, of your financial life. And so that's an important piece to be talking about. And the fourth one is the grace talk. Rachel says uh, the grace talk is massively important. Uh, When I make a money mistake, I love it when you blank. See, we've all made money mistakes before. Uh, I certainly did when... (laughs) When I spent 50 bucks that my wife was not excited about me spending at Greycliff. Um, Because we're all going to make even more money mistakes in the future, how we have those conversations matters. If we handle those things with grace, 
and also without enabling, that really dictates how comfortably we will talk about money in the future. You see, one of the reasons that my mother-in-law just had to hide things on the side is because whenever she had a conversation uh, with my father-in-law at the time, they're both passed away, which is why I'm sharing this story, uh, it didn't go well. There wasn't grace that was offered. Uh, and, And so she just began to hide. That's why it's important that all of us offer grace to our significant others when we're having these conversations, when somebody makes a mistake, because it will happen. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of grace that enables, right? If somebody has uh, a shopping problem because they're trying to cover something up and so it's become almost an addiction where they're buying stuff all the time, we're not talking about enabling that, okay? Or if someone has a gambling addiction, we're not going to enable that, but we are going to offer grace and work to resolve what's really going on under the surface. So those are the four uh, conversations you need to have, all right? Put a pin in that, and now flip over now to the uh, basically the last little mini-sermon I want to give you, Ron Blue's Five Financial Habits. Now, I like Ron Blue better than I like Dave Ramsey, all right? Dave Ramsey's intense, Dave Ramsey gets in your face, and I just don't like Dave Ramsey because I just don't like budgets to begin with. So give me Ron Blue. Ron Blue, he's a little nicer, a little kinder. So I like, they're both fantastic, but uh, I want to give you five financial habits that Ron Blue says. Number one. Spend less than you earn. Look, friends, this should be no duh, right? There's, I mean, like, spend less than you earn. Duh. Yeah, but some of you are sitting in here right now, and I don't want to be glib about this because this is, a, this is hard. You, you, you feel really uncomfortable right now because you'd be embarrassed if somebody knew the financial situation that you find yourself in. And you're probably thinking to yourself, I don't even know how to get out of this. I don't know if I can get out of this. And you feel overwhelmed, and you might even feel hopeless in some ways. I want you to know God God knows that. And it's not an accident that you're here today. And God wants to offer you some hope. So yes, some of these things are going to feel like really common sense, but way too many of us are not living with them. So today, we have the ability to make a choice. Am I going to do what I need to do to start finding financial health, because financial health is tied to all kinds of other health, spiritual health, relational health. So number one, spend less than you earn. Every success in your financial life depends on this habit, and you can start this week. Number two, give generously. Giving breaks the power of money. This sounds kind of counterintuitive, especially if you're already spending more than you're earning, okay? Because if you're spending more than you're earning, you're going into debt. But there is a power in giving generously that begins to break the power of money. Jesus said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money. I'll be honest, I find myself struggling with the love of money sometimes. Right? I think, all, I think many Americans do. And we're always having to pay attention to that. But one of the things that uh, Ron has found and I've found as well is that when I'm giving generously, it actually begins to break that hold that finances often has on my life. Number three, plan for financial margin. Plan for financial margin because the unexpected will occur. Here's uh, some Dave Ramsey stuff I want to give you because I think it's actually super beneficial. Dave Ramsey says, uh, when it comes to this, the first thing you need to do, no matter where you're at right now, is you need to start putting money aside in a savings account until you build up $1,000 of an emergency fund. $1,000. He says, if you got debt... Uh, or no debt, doesn't matter. The first thing to do, build up a savings account of $1,000. Why? Because if you don't have an emergency account, when that thing comes up, what do you have to do? 
you pull out that credit card and you swipe it again, don't you, right? That we, that's, we don't have a choice. So if you can start putting together $1,000, that will help you. Then he says, now start killing the debt. Do whatever you got to do. Kill the debt, kill the debt, kill the debt. Get an extra job, whatever it takes, right? Move in with a roommate, get a room, whatever you got to do, kill the debt, all right? So then the next thing he says is when you've done with that, then try to build up six months of reserve. Whatever you spend for a month, build up six months of that. Some of you are like, I don't even know how I could do $1,000, let alone like six months of reserves. Hey, these are steps. These are baby steps. But the more that we do that, the more we get into that place of where if something major happens, we're not having to put it all on credit card and amass debt. Number four, set up long-term goals. If you don't have long-term goals, you will live your life by short-term goals and short-term desires. So what are your long-term goals? What do you want? Set up those. There's always a trade-off between the short-term and the long-term. It might take five years to get out of debt. Right? Maybe five years to save up for a down payment on your first house. But 2025 is going to come either way. Rachel Cruz says, if you make goals today and start working on them now, when 2025 comes, and it will, you will enjoy that year much more than if you wait until then. Number five, avoid debt. Again, sounds like a no-brainer, but way too often we get ourselves in debt. So debt always mortgages the future. Uh, I would guess uh, everybody, almost everybody in this room probably has some debt. I do. Uh, Brenda and I paid off all of our college debt, but we have a mortgage. My house is not paid off. Uh, I want to give you a few thoughts um, on, on debt, okay? These are mine. Uh, somebody that knows more about finances, maybe they're going to disagree with me, shout me out, I don't care. I'm just going to tell you this is the wisdom that I've learned over the years. Number one, stay away from credit cards. If you can help it, get rid of credit cards. Use a debit card. I wish that credit cards actually would like, let, like it started off at the beginning of the month when you got paid, like a credit card was like this big, you had to carry it around and it was like huge in your pocket. But every time that you used it, it would like get a little smaller, right? And like as your money's going, and then like, you know, halfway through the month, you're like, you know, like this little tiny, like, because you'd actually pay attention to how you're spending money, right? I know for me, what we, we do have a credit card and I'll explain why in just a second, uh, when I'm using the credit card, I know that I'm probably spending more than if I was simply using cash. Because when I got cash in my pocket, I don't like giving away my cash. I know when my cash is gone, when that $20 bill turns into a five and two ones, right? Like all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, that ain't as much. My kids think it's more. They're like, hey, it was one bill, now it's three. And like, no, that's not how it works, buddy. <laughs> we're working, we're teaching, okay? Uh, if you can avoid credit cards, avoid them. Now, here's the only uh, reason that I think somebody should have a credit card, Okay. Uh, number one, if you can earn points off your credit card for whatever it is. Brenda and I, we earn about 300 bucks a year off of using our credit card. They pay us to use their credit card, all right? Now, uh, I still don't think that that's a reason to do it uh, unless you can promise me, right, sign with your life that you can pay off that credit card every month. If you can't pay all of it off, when the bill comes due, then you should not have a credit card. Why? 
Because those $50 shoes that you just had to buy because they were such a good deal, they're normally 80 bucks, T. They're on sale for 50. If I don't get them now, then they're going to be 80 later. Yeah, you bought them on the credit card for 50 and you wound up spending 112 on them by the time that you actually paid off all of the extra interest. So if you can pay off your credit card at the end of the month, sweetness, fine. I don't care. Still better to use cash, but I know nobody does it. Stay away from credit cards if you can. Also, don't go into debt for things that do not appreciate. Let me tell you the two things that you can go into debt for because they will appreciate. Number one is you. Investing in yourself. Education, training, uh, um, getting that next certificate that's gonna help you in your job uh, to grow and expand. That's fine, you wanna invest. That's actually the number one way that you're going to increase the, the skills and gifts that God has given you in Western society. Invest in your education. That's not a bad thing. Now, I will say, some of us are investing way too, we're going into way too big a hole of debt in the colleges we go to. Now, I'm going to be real gentle, all right? We got some Cornerstone folks, right? We got some Calvin folks in here. Y'all schools be crazy expensive. And we ain't even talking about hope kids, all right? You cray cray. So uh, I understand, okay? But here is some of the things that I think is important for you to be thinking about whenever you just go into the financial aid office and sign your name and have no idea how much you just spent and how much you're going to have to pay back. I want you to think about, though, the, the fields that God is calling you into, all right? Uh, a teaching degree from Cornell you might walk out with 100K in debt, a teaching degree from you know, Kuiper or GVSU or Cornerstone Calvin. You, you might wind up with 30K in debt. It does not matter what's on the top of that resume, Cornell or GVSU, you're still going to get paid the same as a teacher. Okay? Nobody's paying you more because you went to Harvard. All right? If you teach, you're a teacher. So, Think about what God's calling you into and don't get yourself so far in debt that you're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of it. What else can you invest in? Property, your home. Now, let me just say, when I was growing up, everybody said that buying a home was a great investment. It's not. I'm just telling you right now, like, like do the math, it's not a great investment. It will appreciate. It will appreciate more than inflation, but not a lot more. And so when you actually start doing the math of what it costs to pay the mortgage and all the bills and all the upkeep and the things that you need in a house, it will appreciate over time. But when you factor in inflation, right, it's actually not that great of an investment. It would actually be better financially to rent something and take all the extra money that you would have spent in a house and invest it in the stock market. You'd actually have a much greater return now. I'm not saying don't buy a house. My wife and I own a house. We owe money on our house. We still have a mortgage on it that we're paying on. The, having a house is still a good investment. Brendan and I, God has been super gracious with us in, in our investments with, with homes. But those are the only two things that I think are worth going into debt for. You shouldn't go into debt over furniture. You shouldn't go into debt. You shouldn't put a TV on a credit card unless you know you can pay it off at the end of the month. You shouldn't even go into debt for a vehicle. Look, I know a lot of folks, uh, a vehicle is instantly depreciating, okay? Vehicles are always going down. They're never going up unless it's like a classic car investment thing, and we're not talking to those folks, okay? So if you have to drive a 2001 Volvo station wagon, 
even when everybody else at your office is rocking that 2019 blah blah whatever, then rock that 01 Volvo station wagon, friends. You will be in good company because that's what your pastor is rocking right now, okay? Because it's paid off, right? And I'm happy about it. I don't want, like, don't invest in things that are going to depreciate. Now, I know that I'm making jokes and stuff, but some of you are sitting out here and you're feeling like, ah, like this is, this is hard and it's kind of scary and I don't feel super good about this and I don't want to have a conversation afterwards with my significant other. Um, I understand. But I want us to know that today is a day we can begin to make a change. We can begin to say, hey, God, I want to really honor you with what you've given me. Um, there's so many cost-cutting things you can do. You don't have to have a two-bedroom apartment if you only need a one-bedroom apartment. If you think your parents are going to come visit you, then go to Salvation Army, buy that hideaway couch bed, right? Buy you some Febreze, and your folks will be really happy that you're saving the money, all right? They'll sleep on it. So think about ways you can cut costs. Instead of buying coffee at Starbucks, make coffee before you leave in the morning. Meal prep on the weekends so that you have stuff to bring with you for lunch rather than having to go out every single afternoon with your friends. Yeah, it's not as fun, but it will save you money. Bargain shop. Buy your clothes at thrift stores. Uh, there's great stuff out there today. Buy used furniture, all of that. You don't need brand new stuff. Learn how to fix things so that you don't have to buy new things. YouTube is awesome for that. Do you know how many things I've fixed on my wife's car? She probably shouldn't drive it, but she does, and she's safe so far. Everything's okay, but there's so many things, right? Start shopping at Aldi. <laughs> that was for my wife. She loves Aldi. So uh, I want to show you a picture of what Dave Ramsey says a wise budget should be, because nobody ever told me this stuff. Nobody said these are the percentages that you should use, and they shouldn't really go a whole lot above these percentages. And so uh, you'll see it up there. Ramsey says about 25% should be in housing. 10% in giving, 10% in saving. Then he's got recreation and personal, insurance stuff, health stuff, transportation, like how much you have to spend on gas and insurance for your vehicle or, or your car, uh, food, utilities, all that's in there. That, if you're thinking about like, man, how do I do it? But start with that. Now, you will not know until you actually spend three months tracking every penny that you spend. It'll take that long to figure out where is our money going. I remember the first time that uh, I did this with Brenda, uh, I was spending insanely more at Starbucks than I thought that I was. I thought I was probably spending like 20 bucks, maybe 25 bucks. We, f we fa figured it out it was somewhere between 60 and 70 bucks a month. On Starbucks, people! I do like me some Starbucks, but I don't like it that much. So we had to start changing things. Now, I told you at the beginning, I hate budgets. Uh, I no longer hate budgets. And I'm going to tell you why I don't hate budgets. See, I used to think that budgets were like jails that were just keeping me from expressing my true self. Right? A budget's just the man trying to hold me down, which I later found out Brenda was the man. But <laughs> um, Brenda wanted to live by budget from the beginning of our marriage, uh, uh, and, and I kept stonewalling, like for years, okay? It was actually, uh, we had been married for over a decade when Brenda finally got me to agree to do a budget. And the way she did it was two things. One, she said, don't call it a budget, call it a spending plan. I was like, ooh, that sounds way better. And then I was like, hold up, no, that's just semantics. It's the same thing. And then she said, yeah, but if we have a budget, then you can have a fun account. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> She's like, every month I'll put money in your fun account and you can spend it on whatever you want to. Brenda and I used to have fights a lot 
about spending because she's a saver and I'm a spender. And she even actually started to grow a little bitter because I was the one who was always spending money and she would prefer to save it. And so she started to like get frustrated with me. And I was always frustrated. I'm like, you're just holding me back from my dreams, like all the things, right? And so we would always have these fights. When we got a budget, you know what I actually found a budget gave me? Not a jail, it gave me freedom. I started to know where things were going. It allowed us to be even more generous than we had been. We knew where money was going. We could say, oh, maybe we actually don't want to keep doing that. And then when I got my fun account, I was like, this is awesome. Because at first I was like, ooh, $100 in my fun account? I can spend that on whatever I want to, right? And then you got like a hole burning through your pocket. Like, well, what am I going to buy? I got money. Uh, and then what I started to realize, but wait, what if I saved that a few months? Now I could actually get that other motorcycle that I was wanting to get that Brenda would never let me buy in a million years. But if I saved it up, she would look at me and she'd say, I think that's a really stupid purchase. But you go for it, buddy, because it's in your fun account. So that fun account actually allowed me to feel like, hey, a budget is actually something I could get into. And what it actually did is, as we began to say, God, how do you want us to spend the money that you've entrusted to us? How do you want us to use it? God began to show us some really cool things that he wanted to do in our lives. Ways that we've been able to be more generous than we even were in the past. And, and, and God has actually brought for us relational health and satisfaction. You see, that's one of the blessings of actually believing and following in those principles of using our money the way God desires, investing it in the kingdom. Now, uh, I want you just to stop right now and just take literally 10 seconds to say, what is, God, what is one thing, one step you want me to take? And then we're going to close. Just take 10 seconds. One thing, God, one step you want me to take today. Father God, we want to, we want to honor you with what you've given to us, what you've entrusted to us. God, we know that it's yours. We know that you're a good God and you know how to give good gifts to your kids. And you've certainly done that for us. And God, I know that there's some folks out here that are probably just really, they're really feeling conflicted, maybe even some guilt and shame this morning because of where they're at financially. And God, I just remove that shame. Let them know that you understand and you are there with them and that they can make changes and that you will walk with them in the process. God, thank you for all that you have entrusted us with. God, let us be good stewards of it. We want to be generous. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to close by putting just three uh, websites up on the screen for you. DaveRamsey.com, uh, RonBlue.com, and FinancialPeace.com. Some of you need help. You need help beyond what you can actually do for yourself right now. Uh, Keystone Community Church, which is just up the road from us, in April, they're holding a Financial Peace University. And I called Brady, who's the senior pastor over there. Uh, he and I are buddies. And I said, hey, man, would you mind if I open that up to that resource up to our church? And he's like, dude, we would love it. We would love to partner with you. Uh, he said, if there's anybody from your church that wants to sign up for that, they are more than welcome. So uh, if you need some help, uh, help is available. Um, jump online, financialpeace.com. Uh, it'll actually show that uh, uh, Keystone is doing that. You can sign up, be a part of that. Have a great rest of your week. We will see you next Sunday when I teach you all how to fight. Yeah, Fight Club.